0: I am joined by Stephen Petro, author of Stupid Things I Won't Do When I Get Old and columnist of The Washington Post. Hello. Hello.
2: So nice to be with you today.
0: Thanks for joining us. Welcome to The Divorce Social. I
2: think I'm pleased to be of The Divorce Social. <laughs> I am divorced. I guess I qualify.
0: Well, maybe you could give us a judgment of whether you're pleased to be here at the end. Okay. <laughs> you are divorced. How does me saying that make you feel?
2: You know, I've been divorced for about 4 years now and I think had we been doing this then I would have felt a sense of a sense of weight, a sense of failure. Uh I would not have felt good. But I've I've sort of come a long way in my own growth around around that word, around that concept. You know, as a gay man, I never expected in this lifetime to get married. And I certainly never expected to be a divorcee, that would be with one E, I guess.
0: Does that prey on your mind, I guess, the fact that you never expected to be married and now you're divorced?
2: It did prey on my mind. Now I now I understand it more as sort of the two sides of equality. And so LGBTQ people who thought for um, many, many years, decades to have the right to be married, Part and parcel with that comes the right to become divorced and the obligation to go through the legal process just as any other couple would. And that's as it should be, even though it's a painful process, for sure.
0: I read a brilliant article you wrote about your divorce process. And in it, you said, I get to get divorced. Um, and talking about that right and that equality of, yeah, you have the equality of being able to get married, but you also have the equality of getting divorced. And you talk in your article that a divorce is the, is the same whether you're two men, two women, a man and a woman, you know, whatever your situation, all the laws are the same. Was that quite a revelationary process for you in, during the divorce or is that not something you thought about at the time?
2: It wasn't really something I thought about at the time because it it sort of happened and it happened quickly and I did not really have um, a distance view of of what was going on. I was sort of suddenly faced with um, a number of very difficult decisions. Where was I going to live? Um, Did I want to move back to California where I came from? How was I going to afford things? Health insurance, all all of these really practical matters, as well as in, in this country, trying to come to a legal separation agreement and, and so on and so forth. So really caught up in in the details to start off with. And it only was really a year or so later that I had some perspective and began to understand, in a way, the historic nature of same-sex couples becoming divorced and how that fits into the equality notion, you know, and facing many of the same challenges that opposite-sex couples have for a long time. And then actually, I became irritated too, not with my ex, but I became irritated with some of my friends who refer to what was happening as, oh, you and Jim, you broke up, you split up. And as one who writes about language and the meaning of language, those didn't seem to be the right words to describe the dissolution of a marriage. And I don't remember sort of using them with with my straight friends who were getting divorced. Oh, I'm so sorry you split up. In, in a way, it, I think it delegitimizes the nature of that institution and the relationship. So I got I was a little irritable too.
0: Let's go back to the beginning of your experience. So when was that moment for you that you decided to break up and get divorced? What was that catalyst moment?
2: Well. I'll tell you, I'm going to be a little vague about this because my family would 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 prefer that. But about a year before, a relative of ours acknowledged that he had been having a long-term affair and had been married that all that time. And I remember when I asked him, well, how come you never got divorced? He said, I never found the right time. And I sort of packed that away and said, I do not want to Get to my 80s and to have perhaps had a clandestine affair for a long time, and to say, I never found the right time. So I kind of made a promise to myself. It was around my, the time of my 59th birthday to either be moving ahead with the divorce or to be recommitted into the relationship. And, um, and then it was about six or seven months later that, that we
0: separated. It's interesting that i never had the right time to get divorced. Is there a right time to get divorced, do you think?
2: I don't think there's a right time. I think every time is a very hard time. And you can always find um, a reason to postpone it. And, you know, to be perfectly frank, I had made a plan to talk to my ex about leaving in early January of 2017. And I had consulted a lawyer, and I had not emotionally, but I understood otherwise what the road ahead was, and I had a plan. And that very afternoon, I got a call from the hospice nurse who was taking care of my mom in New York, and she said, your mother is now unresponsive, you know, she will pass in 24 to 48 hours, you should come up here, which I did. So I left, yet another reason not you know to postpone, but that, that was... Um, you know, a very immediate one. And then my mom died the next day and I was with her and that was um that was as it should have been. And then I actually said to myself, Well, I need to take a little breather from all of this. This is this is one huge loss, and I, I don't know that I'm ready now to proceed with the separation. But sometimes things are not in our control. And then about a month later he came to me and said he was leaving. And so that that then precipitated things and we were then Sort of off to those races.
0: Well, I'm sorry to hear about your mother. My father actually died while we were engaged, but before we were married. Mm-hmm. So I had my wedding day without my dad there and Oops. cried when I put my wedding dress on. And mm. I think for me, that death of a parent made me suddenly reevaluate who I was, where I was, what I wanted. And also that life is short and maybe that comes into that time to get divorced is that I suddenly realized that time was finite. Do you think that losing your mother had an effect on the process? It sounds like it would have happened anyway, but what effect do you think it had going through grief at the same time as such a a big... Breakup of a marriage.
2: So I'll just I'll just add in one other event on the timeline, which is then a month after we separated, my father died.
0: My goodness.
2: So I had these three losses in the first hundred days of 2017, and I will say, Samantha, that what was what was challenging for me was separating the different threads of grief because basically I was overwhelmed. They all got mixed together. I had a very difficult time processing them. And I think each one probably would have been a significant enough loss to need some focus, you know, some therapy and so on. But the three of them interwoven, um, yeah, I'll just say it, it really knocked me off my feet.
0: Wow, I can't imagine going through those three things at once. And, and particularly, I've spoken to people who've lost both parents and they talk about that feeling of then being an orphan, Hmm. yes and the loneliness that comes with that and of course with the breakup of a marriage there's loneliness that comes with that did you feel that particularly strongly and how did you deal with those feelings
2: well I did and actually I remember writing a column for the Washington Post about becoming what I called an adult orphan at the age of 59 or 60 and you know how how odd that felt and you know you know it wasn't like I had anywhere near like a perfect relationship with my parents, but without them, the way I have thought about it was, in a sense, they were the north star in my in my constellation, and things just sort of gravitated in that direction, and then when they were no longer there, I felt like my compass was spinning around a lot and then you know with my with my marriage unfolding. I think the compass was speeding, you know, speeding up in, in its um, twirl. And, um, you know, I did I did some healthy things. I did some unhealthy things. You know, I, I pressed ahead with the therapy that I was in. I focused on self-care. I really doubled down on a meditation practice and a gratitude practice. And actually, it was probably the gratitude practice that gave me the greatest amount of solace. And so every, every day when I woke up, I wrote three things that I was grateful for in a little book. And then when I went to bed, I wrote three things that I was grateful for. And they could be, you know, it could be like, it was a beautiful day to, I had a piece of um, dark chocolate. I mean, it, big and small, but in an accumulative way, this notation of gratitude started to lift me. But it was a very gradual way you know and, and and i relied on i relied on friends a lot
0: i love that idea of the noting gratitude at the beginning of the day and the end of the day cuz i have anxiety so i take medication for anxiety so i try mm-hmm. and meditate as well but sometimes I don't know about you but for me when something bad happens it spirals in my head because of my anxiety um to be like the worst thing in the world so like everything is awful nothing's you know gonna be okay again and actually yeah just like I really enjoyed a piece of chocolate today like can really make a difference so I love the idea of writing that down as a kind of way of of recovery but you said you did some good things we talk. about about therapy a lot on this podcast and I you know (laughs) yeah I've had therapy for everything that's happened to me at this point and we're still peeling the layers of the onion with my Mm. therapist but you said you did some bad things I don't know if you want to go into that but I always talk a lot about my sexual explosion and obviously it wasn't all bad but I basically I got divorced went out and had a lot of sex and good times and partying and a lot of that was great but obviously I finally realized that maybe I was kind covering up for some underlying mm-hmm. feelings with that situation. Is there anything that you feel that you could talk about that you kind of did that maybe wasn't meditating and, and grateful practices? So I
2: didn't I did not do that one. I felt very damaged. I was very emotional. I did not think I would be a good sexual or intimate partner. And I I basically just postponed all of that for a year until I felt that I had become more whole. And um and then kind of stepped in, stepped in very gradually. But what I what I did that was not so healthy, it's not nearly as interesting, Smith, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so please I, share. My, the sex wasn't always interesting either, I know, to be honest. I, um,
2: <laughs> I withdrew, and that's a natural tendency of mine. I do suffer from depression and anxiety as well. And so I withdrew because that was kind of um, a place that I knew and a place that... I felt was, I felt that it was safe, and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be further hurt. I, I would not recommend withdrawing um, to myself again, and it's, it's a tendency that I fight as, as I sort of deal with successive waves of depression, as, as, as I often do, and, um, and, and just recently I have been in one of those sort of low periods, and I have made a point of telling certain friends this is where I am now uh, and not trying to camouflage that. There've been some times when I haven't been able to, haven't felt well enough to go to an event or to dinner. And instead of just making up a lie, I've said, my depression is getting the better of me and I need to hang back. Um, and in a way that has made me feel more connected to those people um, who I trust and you know, who understand.
0: Yeah, I think honesty is always the answer, isn't it? Although sometimes it's very hard to be honest with the people around you about how you're feeling. Um, I can definitely relate to that sort of just put a brave face on it. Everything's fine. You're just not seeing me because I'm busy, but actually. Right. And
2: I'm often very busy and I used to be traveling a lot. So I had sort of convenient excuses. But I am trying in, in these years to be more authentic, more honest with myself and with others And I do find that overall, that brings me greater intimacy, uh, either in a friendship way or, um, you know, in another way.
0: And do you remember a particular low moment during that whole time? Because a lot of people I find listen to this podcast during maybe one of those low moments. And it's hard to imagine that everyone has them and that everyone comes out of them again. And I talk a lot about crying face down on my kitchen floor and um, having dislocated my knee, just staring out the window, feeling like life was crashing down around me.
2: You know, I think the lowest point was moving out of the house that we had bought together and that we had lived in. And then, so, so physically it was exhausting and emotionally it was exhausting. And then right about that same time, my ex announced on Facebook that he was in a new relationship. So that was about two months, two months after we'd separated. And that that was hard. That was
0: hard. And I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that kind of their other half, getting a partner first and announcing it to the world. How did that feel and how did that moment hit you physically? Did you say you saw it on Facebook?
2: Some friends of mine saw it on Facebook and then they said, Oh go look on his Facebook page. We were, I guess we were still Facebook friends at that point. Then just because of the, the shortness of time, I, I saw people who were mutual friends of ours saying, oh, did you and Stephen get back together? And I was like, oh, yeah, did that happen? It was kind of this, uh, I was I was incredulous. And then, then of course, it was real. And, um, and then I believe I defriended him. It was time. <laughs> Very empowering.
0: Did you feel angry? Because I remember when my ex... I mean, he went straight into a new relationship like weeks later Mm -hmm. and then that one didn't work out. And then I believe I don't still talk to him, actually, but I believe now he's in a longer term relationship, but. He when he started on this longer term relationship and we were still talking and he was sort of like telling me about it and I didn't like it and it actually made me really angry. I I went through an angry stage, but that specific thing of him like telling me about the relationship and him just being able to like move on so quickly when I was like trying to deal with all my layers made me really angry. I actually bought boxing gloves and an inflatable boxing thing and started boxing in the garden. But um, for did you. you, did you have an angry phase?
2: I had an angry phase. I didn't have the angry phase at that moment because I was really just that was probably still within weeks after my dad died. So I was just sort of emotionally drained and wasn't able to access being, being angry. I was surprised. Um, and I remember we had we had talked not that long before when his brother had divorced and and then quickly repartnered, you know, how that wouldn't allow for healing or learning. And so I did have, you know, those thoughts, gee, that was fast. Um, I'm not sure how quickly one, one can learn what there is to learn. And, um, you know, and honestly, would I have preferred to have been the first one to be repartnered? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, um, that hadn't happened and, you know, that still hasn't happened and and, and that's fine in its own way.
0: Yeah, I, ca- I agree with you. I would have preferred to be the one kind of repartnered mm-hmm. first. But then why is that? It's like I wasn't ready. I didn't want to partner at that stage. But we still want to be like, like win in some way.
2: Yeah, I you know, I certainly wasn't ready. And that was when I was taking my very defined hiatus of a year before even dating. So it would have been hard to get partnered or married again without even going on a date. So, uh, you know, I think it's just part of the emotional response. You know, now it's, uh, four years later and they are married and I am, I am happy for them because I understand that they are happier. He is happier and, and I am happier. And that's a much, that's a good place to have wound up in.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think I'm the same. Looking back now, I'm a few years on. I'm Mm -hmm. like, you know, well, good on them if they can find happiness and I'm much happier out of that relationship. So great. Uh, So you said you left everything kind of dating wise for a Mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. When you went into that world, how did that feel? Because I hadn't done dating apps before. And then all of a sudden it was Swipe Central. Right.
2: So it had been fourteen years, and so I kind of I got back into the swing of it, 2017 or 2018. So there were no apps when I had last been single. I had been on Match.com, which is about it. So yes, an entirely new world to to understand, to navigate. Emojis, um, acronyms. It was. It was. It was foreign. And I also found it like this whole new terrain. And I'll say, initially, I thought, oh, I'm I'm looking to replicate the kind of relationship I had with the kind of person that I had. But as I went a little bit further, I then said to myself, oh, I don't know if I should be so quick about trying to replicate what I had. That didn't work out. And I'm a different person now than I was 14 years ago. And so perhaps I'm looking for different things. And that led to a period of, Really experimenting, meeting all kinds of different people, going out of my comfort zone, having some great experiences, having some wacky experiences. So and that was when I was turning 60, 61, and you know, that was that was not something I would have said, oh, that's gonna be happening when you become a a sex sexige- a which is one of my favorite words which has nothing to do with sex but still one of my favorite words
0: it's interesting because i we spoke to paul roseby um over in the uk about um his divorce from his partner and then coming back into the gay dating scene and he said that people started calling him a daddy and he was like mm-hmm. what i don't want to be anyone's daddy and about all the um acronyms that he wasn't aware of in the uh, lgbtqia plus community you know how do you discover what an acronym means do you ask the person was there lots of googling
2: well i have a very good friend who was my post-divorce counselor and he he had been divorced also so he was my guide to this to this new terrain and he would explain just about everything to me so i was like oh that's what that means. Oh, and and he said, you know, yes, you are a daddy, and there there are different kinds of daddies. They're generous daddies, daddy. Those are the daddies who pay for everything. You know, then there are the daddies who say they're not generous, and which sounds so so cheap, but it, you know, it, you know, it is what it is.
1: So, is
0: that the terminology you say? I am not a generous daddy on your profile.
2: I don't actually say that, but I see many people will say, you know, who are of a certain age, my age who have grey hair or whatever, they will say, not generous.
0: So if you didn't know what that meant, you'd just be like, why are you telling me one of your faults? (laughs) (laughs) You're not a generous
2: person. That was one of my uh, initial questions. Why, why are they asking me that? I, You know, I am by nature a generous person.
0: I'd be so confused in that scenario. I'd be like, why is no one generous on this app? What's going
1: on?
2: But one thing I, you know, I did write about in, in my book is how I lied about my age at the beginning. I was on the cusp of 60, or I was 60, and I remained 58 or I remained 59 because I really didn't want the stigma or the perceived stigma of, of being 60. then I kind of felt uncomfortable telling, you know, a white lie. It wasn't that many years. And, And I met up online with a friend I had gone to college with who, so we went to college. We were the same age. He was now 10 years younger. He was just turning 50. And I was like, whoa, that's so big. That's such a big stretch. And I said, well, how does that work out for you? You know, how do you, you know, when do you tell the truth? And he said, well, I use it to get in the door and then then I will tell them on the first date and half the time they just walk and the other half of the time you know we proceed and he said well those you know those are good odds for me <laughs> so but at that point I decided I was going to um to move towards um being my real age and have done that and really found that it, it does not make a difference because the younger guys who are looking for a daddy I'm a daddy at 58 or whether I'm 64 For someone who wants an individual who's age appropriate, I'm age appropriate at either age. And and if I was deemed too old, it didn't matter, you know, I'm not, I'm not too, too old at either age. I'm just, you know, I'm 64 on, on the apps and I'm good with that.
0: Because I think a lot of people have this fear when they come out of a, a divorce or, or even a long-term relationship and go back into dating, that they're now so much older than they were the last time they were single. So mm-hmm. want to do the fibbing about the age. When you were lying about your age... Did you feel like you had to act a certain... Were you like super... Because I feel like I'd be like, oh, what, what clothes would a 25-year-old wear? Because uh, I'm 34. Um, so I'd be like so worried about it the whole time and like seem like I have to have more energy when I get there. So they don't think I'm older than I am.
2: The number of years that I stretched it was three. So it really did not impact uh, my behaviour or anything like that. I did think a little bit, oh... When does that mean I graduated from college and some of some of those details? But um, but I did have I did also have a practice of when I met someone the first time I did I did say you know this is this is my real age or if I was going to meet them I would I would be upfront about that and that was just sort of a needless complication and I remember somebody called me out for lying. It's like okay. I'm just going to be straightforward about this. It's too complicated.
0: I love that that shows the difference in us. I'm the actress in me is like, I, how am I going to act younger? And whereas the wordsmith and the kind of researcher and columnist in you is like, I need to work out the facts in case anyone right. questions
2: me about my history. But also, it sounds like you were making. You know, you had a span of nine years. You were suddenly twenty-five, and uh, that would. <laughs> yeah, if I good. had if I had lopped off a third, I would have been. You know in my 40s and that would have taken a lot of um thinking about my clothes <laughs> and so on and so forth
0: <laughs> well i like i like that you're back to your truthful age
2: when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door
0: it's the ad break. So it's a perfect time to remind you to hit subscribe to be notified about more episodes. You can also leave us a lovely review because honestly, it makes a difference to the chart positions. And one time I was in the charts next to Michelle Obama and I was really thrilled about it. So it'd be nice to do that again. You can also join in the conversation on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com. And you can also join us for our like 90s style divorce chat room experience over on Patreon. So just go to patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines, B-A-I-N-E-S, and it starts at £2 a month. And we all have lovely and awful and amazing chats. See you there. Because I write children's books. I wanted to ask you how you think you reacted to well not just the divorce a period of real hardship and lots of um, grief in your life as a writer do you think because obviously you have a few books uh, to your name and um, your most recent book Stupid Things I Won't Do When I Get Old do you think books were a reaction or writing was a way to help you get out of things or did you not write for a period of time?
2: I did not write for a period of time. I'd say it was probably three to five months. I was just completely shut down. And I remember one of my editors called me and said, it's okay, I understand where you are and we'll be here You know when you're ready again. A lot of the writing that I've done, whether this book or the columns, I write first-person narrative and I often talk about issues in my life so i've then wound up writing a fair amount about my mother's death um, and then my father's and um and the grief that came after that as a way in, in in a sense there it's a therapy for me to try to understand better my feelings and then bring in other other sources other people's stories because i certainly don't have um you know any kind of stranglehold on on those themes and um, so for instance, it's not actually that long ago, I wrote a column in the Washington Post about, about grief and, and talked about how terrified I had been before these losses of that pain and of what I'd sort of seen in the world when, when people died, this you know, abundance of emotion and pain. But one thing I had come to experience with my own grief around those losses was in the way that that feeling stays inside of you that's a way that individual stays inside of you too, a way that you can feel connected to someone you loved. And um, it's not the same, but I found it, you know, sort of by changing my perspective on it, comforting, you know, rather than destructive in, in some way. And, um, and that was really an insight I only came to, I think, three or four months ago um, as I sort of continued to engage with, with grief and loss.
0: What's it like now? Because I know having written books myself, and as I said, mine are children's books, so they're shorter. But I know writing a book is a a big endeavour and takes up a lot of your life and time and emotion. How does it feel having a book out now and not having all of those emotional structures in place like your marriage and your other half to support you and your parents to support you is there a freedom in that of you know you were terrified you couldn't do it but now you've done it and you're fine or do you miss those people being able to share the experience with you I guess
2: two thoughts come to mind and the first is I remember when I got this this Box of books. It was the first time I was actually seeing the book, and I don't know if this is true in the UK, but it's become a thing among authors here that you'd kind of do the reveal. You get your box cutter and you open the box, and you know, then you you hold up the book like this. Oh my gosh, I have a book, <laughs> and um, like like this is my baby. Um, but I remember thinking in that moment that I had come quite a distance to be able to be holding the book beyond what I would normally when what I felt when other books had been published, but that I had traversed this land of pitfalls and and emotional minefields to to be able to to get to that point. And that was very affirming. And then I felt the sadness that um, my parents were not here to enjoy that success. Um, because they had always been supportive and they Would have loved that. And I often feel like when I've been, when I was on tour for a while or doing events that, um, especially my mother was present and I, I've loved reading stories that, that incorporate uh, my mother because my parents are actually very big players in this book. So, um, they would have had a lot to say about it too. So I guess in, in some ways it's it's just as well that they're not looking over my shoulder, but I, I really have missed them in, in in this process.
0: It's funny because I remember my book launch for my first children's book was after my dad had died and mm-hmm. just after I'd got divorced. So I'd been writing the book when I was still married. And so I remember that book launch, you know, newly, I don't think I was even officially divorced then, but newly kind of single- without a husband there to kind of calm me down before everyone arrived Mm -hmm. to tell me that people were going to arrive and then my family being there and and my dad had always been you know the life and soul of the party and host with the most and that's why I think maybe I take a little bit of that from him but I remember my mum sort of like buying everyone a round of Prosecco to um to kind of bring my dad into things because that's what he would even though there were you know there was the wine and the beer complimentary but you know like as a kind of celebratory thing and it, it's funny those moments where they're kind of not there but I did mention my ex in my speech and um because he did encourage me to write that book and it didn't come out until the divorce proceedings were going through so it meant I didn't have to share any of the revenue from the book with him. So, win-win.
2: Congratulations.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Looking back now, um, you are a few years on. Mm -hmm. Have you had a moment, and maybe it's unboxing your new book, but have you had a moment where you've thought, oh, everything's going to be okay now?
2: I mostly live that way. As with all wounds, they heal they heal from the inside and they take time But I feel, I feel healed at this point. I feel whole and, you know, and I feel that's in large part because of of the work that I've done and the people who've loved me and that I've been able to love back. So um, I am in a, I am in a good place these days. Which doesn't mean I don't have bumps. I definitely have bumps and um, I get frustrated with, with dating and um, with, guys that flake or guys who misrepresent themselves. But uh, I I have come to sort of understand all of that as that is this chapter's adventure. And so when I approach it as an adventure, I'm not disappointed. When I have a specific expectation, that's when there could be troubles.
0: And for anyone listening who is a gay man in a marriage with a man and is feeling that sense of shame that you mentioned at the beginning about divorce, would you have any words of comfort or advice for them
2: I think people who get divorced or separated regardless of their orientation or identity feel some sense of that it's part of normal so don't um you know don't medicalize it don't make use don't think that there's something wrong with you it's it's part of the the bundle of feelings that that come along with it and um, it won't last you'll 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 work work through it at, at whatever time and pace that you need. But none of these things are are forever. That's certainly the optimist in me. You know, I can't guarantee that everyone will become repartnered. I can't guarantee that for myself. But I think that this process of healing does does go forward. And um, you know, I, around the same time that I got divorced, I, I I slipped and I I had this deep deep wound in my foot, and I remember it took so long to heal. And for the longest time, it seemed like it wasn't healing. And I would go to the doctor and she said, be patient it's healing from the inside. And at the very end, you will see that it is healed. And that is exactly what happened. But it was it was a very apt metaphor. And I was impatient too.
0: That is a very apt metaphor. I like that. Thank you so much. It's been so great to chat. Um, can you remind us about your new book and where people can find it?
2: Yes, it is called Stupid Things I Won't Do When I Get Old. And it's both memoir and manifesto about aging. And I tell lots of stories about myself and my parents as we sort of traversing this terrain. And it is available um, online at Amazon and um, other fine book retailers everywhere, and hopefully in London.
0: And um, where can we find you on social media and follow your writing exploits?
2: Um, I have a website and it is stephenpetro.com and I'm going to spell that because it's always misspelled. So that's Stephen with a V and then P-E-T-R-O-W dot com. And all my social um, is, is linked from there as well.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much. It's been great to chat.
2: Thank you, Sam. It's a real pleasure.
1: Hold up.
0: Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one, or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter And Instagram, at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com. And we have a Patreon account, which means the use